and welcome to Outrage and Optimism. My name's Tom Rivet-Karner. I'm Christiana Figueres. And I'm Paul Dickinson. This week, we celebrate what happened over the last two weeks with the global climate strikes coordinated by young people around the world, and we anticipate the Extinction Rebellion International Rebellion starting next week. Plus, we speak to Gail Bradbrook, founder of Extinction Rebellion. Thanks for being here. So we seem to be in something of a renaissance of moments of civil disobedience actions on climate change. The last few weeks have been really inspiring. There have been 7 million people on the streets the last two consecutive Fridays protesting in most countries around the world, uh, led, of course, by the strikes in New York and then Montreal, where Greta has been and is now traveling across the U.S., but next week, we, it kind of steps into a different gear. Um, Extinction Rebellion, who last year shut down central London for a couple of weeks, are back with an international rebellion that starts on Monday. This time, it does seem to have gone global with 60 countries around the world, over a thousand different events. And the flagship event again in London in the intention to shut down 12 different sites for at least two weeks. So today we're going to speak to Gail Brabrook. She is the co-founder of Extinction Rebellion. And it's just kind of interesting, I think, at this moment to reflect on how this kind of sense of civil disobedience, this sense of a kind of uprising of people saying enough, we're going to take to the streets, we're going to stay there, we're going to do what it takes to change things, has kind of arrived on the scene like a hurricane in the last 12 months. And those of us who've been working in this space for many years kind of have sort of sought and, and, and wanted to precipitate this kind of engagement for many years, but suddenly it's here. So let's start maybe by just sort of, sort of, sort of saying, why is this moment different? And why do we think that civil disobedience has suddenly spread like wildfire? You know, I have spent 19 years, not as long as Christiana, working on climate change. But what I felt since I got involved in this political movement, if you want to call it that, not party political, but, you know, societal political movement, what I've been looking for, what I've been sensing is, is where are the suffragettes? That is always over and over again my question. You know, the suffragettes who, who fought valiantly in, in the UK uh, and, and others, I think that the name is a, is a kind of global brand, for, for women to have the vote, they took direct action. They smashed shop windows. They stood there. They waited until they were arrested. They went to prison. They went on hunger strike. They were force-fed to be kept alive. And then, when released from prison, they went back to the shops and smashed the window. Because what they said is, the integrity of our requirement is so absolute, we can only take direct action. That's the only option open to us. And I believe Extinction Rebellion have arrived in the just and noble tradition of the suffragettes, bringing to the climate change movement the backbone and the courage that achieved that great change. Well, I, I certainly agree um, with Paul, and I think we've said before on this podcast how um, it has really changed from, let's just say just four or five years ago from the march that was organized in New York, which was a march of support. But now, but I would not have called that march in 2014 civil disobedience. I would have right. called it a march of support to what governments needed to do. 
We have a very different sentiment on the streets now. I really think that we have now moved in to the civil disobedience uh, mood and mode, uh, which is quite remarkably different. It's going to, uh, I think, take an extraordinary amount of leadership and discipline to keep this movement as a um, nonviolent movement uh, that will not be smashing windows, uh, because I know that that is their commitment. Their commitment is to make their view abundantly clear, pollucidly clear, in the UK as well as in all of the other uh, countries in which they are organized and taking to the streets, but they do not want to go into uh, into violence. And honestly, I think that is uh, one of the huge challenges that they have. How do they mobilize the anger that is felt by so many adults, and as we know now, uh, underage uh, students as well, how do they mobilize that anger and that outrage, as we call it, without letting it tip over into violence? I, I think that is an extraordinary challenge that they have um, and is one that every, every civil disobedience movement has actually faced in the past. I think that's a really interesting point, Christiana. And, and actually, you know, as Paul pointed out, sometimes, you know, when these movements become violent to property, obviously to people is different, that can end up being effective. But let's leave that to one side for now, because obviously that's not what we're advocating. It, Extinction Rebellion have quite an interesting governance structure. So they have 10 principles. And they're things like, you know, a shared vision of change, set our mission on what is necessary, need a regenerative culture. They're, they're worth looking at. There's 10 of them. And one of them is, um, as you said, we are a nonviolent network. Um, and the way they work is that anyone or any two or three people can take those principles and provided they adhere to them, they can call themselves an Extinction Rebellion movement. They don't need to get anybody's permission. They just sort of charge out and they start taking actions on the basis of those principles. So quite cleverly, sort of baked into that structure is if you become violent, then by definition, my understanding is that you have then broken one of the principles and by definition, you're no longer part of that network. And we should ask Gail about whether that's true, but that's quite an interesting self-correcting governance mechanism that to a degree protects them from that outcome or at least it being done in their name, although they can't protect it from what people might do otherwise. I mean, we've seen in Hong Kong how demonstrations can change character and change character and change character. And, you know, there is, again, uh, you know, very deeply felt views on both sides in Hong Kong. And there's a kind of direction. Um, but I, I, I do feel Extinction Rebellion, like Greta, brings something entirely new and very necessary to the whole debate. And one thing I'd like to just dig into, and maybe we'll talk again about this too, is I think that, you know, we, Christiana and Paul, you know, we really feel like this sense of a kind of gritty, tenacious, stubborn optimism has been a major part of the Paris Agreement and other things. And Extinction Rebellion have a different perspective. They have a slogan saying, hope dies and action begins. So one of the areas would be interesting to delve into is, is there really a difference there or are we using similar language to, or different language to describe hey, a Tom, similar thing? Tom, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yes. Um, I have Gail on the other line here. She's called in. Oh, cool. I know that we don't normally do it this way, but I think it would be fun if we just... Patch her in and let's just go. <laughs> okay, cool. We will and need I to get her mic set up while she's on the phone. So great. Give it just a moment. I'm going to patch the phone through here. One one second. Okay. 
All right. Gail, I've got you on the line here with everyone, Tom, Paul, and Christiana. Hello. Hi. Hi, Gail. This is Tom. How very nice to talk to you. Hi, Tom. Good to speak to you. I'm just getting used to the headphones. It feels like being in a fishbowl, doesn't it? <laughs> That's right. Hi, Gail. This is Christiana. How are you? I'm talking to you from Costa Rica. Hi, Christiana. I love Costa Rica, by the way. I know. I just needed to I... let you know that my um, I'm, I'm back home after being away from Sunday night and uh, have my kids half the time, uh, 11 and 13-year-old boys. I think one of them's off doing rugby stuff and uh, at some point they just crash into the house and announce that they're hungry and things like that. So we're just going to have to handle that <laughs> and edit it out. Yeah, the sooner we crack on the better, you know, honestly. How long will it take, by the way? 20 minutes, 25 minutes maximum, something like that. And, you know, if we need to cut it short a bit because you need to be with your family, totally understand and that's fine too. <laughs> well, sometimes they actually, I mean, to be, I guess the reason I was telling you I haven't seen them for a few days is that there's a kind of place where it's not fair on them that mum's not available just to come at least say hello and give them a cuddle. So normally they'd be home by now, so they're obviously doing some training. Or something. Of course. It could be quite nice having you go off and giving a hug. It'd be sweet. Cool. Okay, and we have Ellie, our sound engineer there, setting up a mic for Gail. Ellie, are we ready to roll here? Um, I'm going to start recording now. We're going to do a clap, and then you can go for it. Okay, great. Let me patch in the mics here. Ellie and Gail, we are yeah, ready so when you are. Okay, I'm recording and this is the sound clap. Okay, great. So ready when you are. It's so nice to have a professional sound recording person. Clay is visibly happy. So. Yes, I, I, Tom <laughs> normally does a great job doing both interviewing and sound, but it's nice to have a professional here too. Right. <laughs> okay, sound speeds. We've got everything running. Tom, you can actually take us from wherever we So we, 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 we were kind of like in mid-conversation. So Tom, I think you have to kind of... You know, yeah, maybe... sure. No, I'll just, I'll just bring it back. So Gail, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time in this incredibly busy week just before the International Rebellion kicks off next week. So we really appreciate you being here. We call this podcast Outrage and Optimism. Um, we've called it that because we think both are necessary, the outrage on the streets to precipitate wide-scale change. And that obviously is... Um, you know, really picking up at the moment in a manner that is very exciting, combined with the optimism of entrepreneurship, of innovators, of creative people really getting down and delivering solutions. So we think that both of those things coming together is necessary for us to move forward to where we need to be. And we can maybe get into that. But I wonder if we could just start and we'd like to get into sort of your story and how XR came about, etc. But maybe we could just start by talking about next week. Can you just set out for us What's going to happen starting on the 7th? I can. And um, do you know, outrage doesn't have to happen on the streets. What can happen on the streets is pure love, connection and a determination mm. to be together. And that's how the April Extinction Rebellion genuinely felt to those of us that were there. It, we had the time of our lives. And it felt very prefigurative of how the world could be. We had people's assemblies. I'm not saying everything was perfect by a long way, but we made food in the middle of roads and cooked together and had a beautiful time together. And the innovation in some ways comes from remembering that we can be together in that way and that if if human beings feel connection and feel their power, that things can change. So uh, outrage might be the thing that gets you on the streets in the first place, but maybe when you get there, you have a fantastic time. So I thought I'd <laughs> share that that thinking fair enough. on your title. Yeah. It was the most optimistic thing. Nice, very nice. I experienced beautiful music and singing on Waterloo Bridge. It was absolutely, honestly, it made me cry. 
Yeah, many people shed many tears that week of joy and that's where the optimism was. Because I guess, frankly, uh, nobody really knows for absolute sure how this thing's going to turn out. I mean, currently the science is a disaster and constantly getting worse. And we may be heading for human extinction. That is certainly a possibility. Uh, And at the very least, I, I would still want to rebel. I would still want to find the unity in in these times of grief and destruction and of course i hope that what we're doing means that we can save something of life on earth and so that's why we're doing what we're doing Mm. in in the uk we are taking over 12 locations across london that will very much block around the houses of uh, parliament Um, we have a movement of movement approach which means there are other movements that are coming out on the streets that have got alignment with us but aren't necessarily in absolute agreement with everything we say and do in the same way so one of the things I'm really excited about actually is that we've got Animal Rebellion joining us on the streets who who obviously take a a very strong uh, position around veganism Mm. and we also have um, XR Farmers joining us on the streets which will include people like Pasture Fed Livestock Association that make a case for some pasture-fed ruminants for biodiversity and it's not XR's role to take a position on either of those. There's going to be a pink tractor with us. But I think what's beautiful is the idea that there's so much more that unifies than divides us Mm. and uh, the animal kingdom are are certainly suffering under this industrialised agriculture that we have and and the mass extinction that we're in. So, um, yeah, we're, we're going to be on the streets. It's it's always gone better than we expected, the things that we've done. And who knows this time, but I'm feeling optimistic about us um, really being able to lift up a story around a failing de- democratic system that is unable to respond to a crisis, a failing system mm. that's unable to find a way through and that it really is down to people now. Gail, um, I'm fascinated um, by your very broad vision of this and your um, encompassing and, and engaging with so many different um, views and holding the space for that. Um, I'm also intrigued about the intergenerational component of this, because is is it not true that you yourself became an activist at the age of 14, joining the Green Party? You weren't much older than your children are now. Uh, and, uh, and, and we do have young people of that age also on the street. I'm wondering, how, how do you see that? How are you thinking about this intergenerational? Do you see it as two generations? Do you see it as all the affected human beings who are out there? How, how do you see that? Well, first of all, I see the beauty of it. You know, we had uh, Phil Kingston from Christian Climate Action who spent his 83rd birthday climbing on top of a Docklands light railway and gluing himself to it. He's really hardcore. He also threw some paint at the Brazilian embassy as a solidarity action. And uh, then you have, uh, we had Parliament Square opened by Elsie Luna last time, last April, who's an incredible 10-year-old. She may be 11 now. Um, who had personally gone round uh, many of the hundred companies that are the biggest emitters of carbon emissions. And um, interestingly, actually, I've spent the last few days talking to what you might call of members of the elite in the UK, at least some of them. Um, I got invited to speak at a Creating the Future event hosted by Weatherby's private bank. So there are lots of people that would consider themselves investors there and um 
whilst I felt a little bit like the novelty ticket, <laughs> oh, look, we've got a rebel with us, um, what actually was said to me quite a few times was that my daughter or my grandson or whatever was so pleased that you were coming and they're really behind what you're doing. And <laughs> So true. Um, one of them showed me a message where... Um, the father had said something to the daughter and the daughter had come back and said, oh, dad, stop being such an old white man. <laughs> so, you know, there are shifts happening across all of society uh, because the young people are not willing to be silent and they, uh, in broad numbers, get this. And then there's something of eldership here and we don't have a strong tradition of eldership in, in the UK and, and I guess in Western democracies generally, but of the elders who are willing to say, you know, I, I will do whatever it takes to give the best possible chance of my grandchildren and future generations having a having a future. And so, and, and there's a fearlessness on both of those uh, age groups. I, I, I suspect, I can't prove this, but there's something of the kind of, you know, late 20s to late 40s group that I sit in that that, that are at one end of the spectrum, not the other, I'm 47, um, that can tend to be a little bit more complacent and a little bit too stuck in, in the current system and trying to pay mortgages off and mm. and so on. But I, I see an awakening happening across all age groups and it's quite correct, in my opinion, for uh, younger ones to say that the older ones just haven't haven't done what, what was needed. What we needed to do. I've, I've always seen Extinction Rebellion as being if if some of us can get on the streets, standing on the shoulders of our elders in social movements and uh, and, and, and open a door, if the young people charge through, this will be unstoppable. Mm. And of course, the young people are opening their own doors with the climate strikes and so on. I, I would say it already is unstoppable. Quite probably. I mean, we, we have an impact assessment team actually with academics on that doing, looking at, at raw data. I uh, was also talking to the, the chair of a significant science body today and, um, you know, people have these concerns about whether this thing's going to work or not. And there are two main data points that Nerdy Gale gets excited about. One is the 3.4% that comes from Erica Chenoweth and, and uh, Maria Stefan's research about what it takes, how, how big a social movement needs to be to be effective, and it's up to that figure. Uh, and then also what you have to have is like public opinion talking about the issue and being highly concerned about it, and that's sort of like a, around 50 to 60%. And they don't have to like the social movement. That's the bit that I was explaining to this lady today, that y it's not always about liking the actual social movement, it's about having the conversation about the issue. Yeah, girl, I'm just very, I'm super, you know, in admiration of, of what you've done, as are so many people uh, everywhere I go as a, you know, professional climate change person. Everyone is talking about Extinction Rebellion in every meeting. So just to kind of salute that phenomenal achievement. I mean, I, I was um, suggesting earlier that you were in a kind of lineage with the suffragettes. Would you would you see that or are there differences? Well, I think the first thing to say is to honour people who've been in the climate movement for years. You know, we're standing on your shoulders. That's what I mean by eldership. This thing didn't come out of nowhere. And sometimes I have to admit, I cringe a little bit when I hear shiny-eyed Extinction Rebellion people going, oh, nobody was doing the right thing. And here we are, you know, like the great saviours. This has been a movement of a long time coming. There's communities of resistance across the world. Uh, and I think we did hit something of a zeitgeist because the IPCC mm. report was there. You had, what, Greta Thunberg was doing the weather was just fucking strange you know there was increased <laughs> fires and so on you know it was um 
I, I think there was some magic and some coming together. So I don't want to just take total um, credit, you know, that somehow we're extra clever or something. I don't. I, don't, I, I think it's important to honour all our roles. And I, you know, in Extinction Rebellion, there's. I talk about it, an ecology of theories of change. We've very much learned from other social movements, reading books like This Is an Uprising by Paul and Mark Engler. And, and um, we had training from the INI Institute, uh, Carlos Saavedra on momentum-driven organising. So, And there's lots that we've got wrong, in all honesty, and we're backfilling a lot of the time. There was a lot of hard work at the start and um, a group that worked together for some time determined to do this thing. So it, it's a mixture, it's a mixture of factors. But what I actually what I was wanting to say is I think a really key ingredient has been grief, has been mm. really saying to people that it's time to feel this in our bones, in our chests, in our hearts. And it can be a real dark night of the soul or a period of unravelling for people when they do that. And it's really to use this kind of slightly possibly hippie-sounding language, part of the rising feminine in all of us, that emotion and instinct and togetherness is is, is part of the way. Uh, and, and, and what happens when people allow themselves to feel this rather than just meeting it intellectually through figures and statistics and plans and so on is the really breaking the open of hearts and the determination to do what it takes you know courage feels like that comes off the back of the grief and I think so many of us just needed that to be said and felt and I often say to people I see people in it yesterday another a woman a scientist who hadn't walked that path yet and I could see she's in it and I'm sister you know just don't do that on your own the main thing is to find other people to grieve with and it's part of the work um, so this thing is, in my view, shifting on a number of fronts. I mean, there's this shift that comes by, uh, I could use some technical language here, but voluntarism, which is where you decide to create a social movement and you try and build one and use some mechanical processes to do that and some tactics and so on. There's the piece where the inner work's really needed, the grieving, the the, the, the personal taking care, the self-love, and also um, looking across the things that divide us, the, the, the way white supremacy shows up and patriarchy. And then there's the piece where uh, things are going to change whatever. The change is coming, we have to adapt to it. And there's something about creating a self-organising system as we've tried to in, in Extinction Rebellion by decentralising, which what that means is that as things fall to pieces, which I personally think is relatively inevitable, some people say it is inevitable, it would, that we've got something to fall back on, that we've found a way to be together and communicate. So I think that's really super important as well. Um, there's another piece that would seem more mystical and esoteric, but is the idea of holding this spiritually, and that's not that something that everybody has to sign up to. But there's a lot happens behind the scenes with Extinction Rebellion, with ceremony and with praying uh, and with intention. Gail, I was very taken by your use of the term rising. Did you say rising feminine? Is that the way the way you expressed it? Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that? I see women so much actually at the forefront of, of uh, our movements for change and female-bodied people. And um, the rising feminine is something for us all. It's, it's about men and male-bodied people connecting to 
emotions as being a, 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 having validity, that things don't just need to come from the intellect. And I think that the Dalai Lama said that the change would come from uh, Western women. I don't know if that's okay to say, but I think I, I understood he said that. And I think there may be some combination of grief, openness to feeling the place where work has been done to love ourselves enough and the place of uh, privilege as well. Um, yeah, so female leadership. So I'm I'm very taken by that because um, what it speaks to is the fact, and I'm consciously using the word fact, although some would argue it's not a fact, um, that global transformation, which is what you're all about, is actually deeply personal and that there is a direct connection, a direct link with what is going on inside of us and our discovery of ourselves and our own energy, our own power and our capacity to be agents of change at a global level. Uh, I'm just fascinated how you express that so, so much more eloquently, honestly, than I have heard before. Thank you. And I, 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 um, Really love the way Mickey Kashtan says this, who's um, uh, an Israeli uh, Jew living in America, who's a, a really great supporter of Extinction Rebellion, a great thinker on nonviolence, when she names patriarchy as coming from scarcity, thinking from separation and from powerlessness. And I think that just gives a really strong guidance as to when we're in those modes you know one of the things that we say in extinction rebellion is no blaming and shaming and that needs to leave room for people to express what they need to say about what it is to live in a system that's you know full of things like white supremacy and uh the way mickey talks about how to address patriarchy is through vulnerability so when is that moment where you're able to you know really listen properly to what somebody needs to say and maybe you listen to your own self, you know, where is the tenderness that you feel and the mourning for what we've lost as well. They are the sort of emotional processes and perspectives that really give us some guide, guidance posts. And sometimes it can get on the progressive left, it feels like a battleground, you know. Uh, it's this person's fault, it's that thing, finger pointing, shaming, blaming. And, mm. and, and somebody said to me recently that the progressive left when they set up a firing squad stands in a circle not a straight line <laughs> um there's there's something here about how we how we are together that's not a battle but is a dance because we're all in my opinion deeply traumatized by this system you know nobody's unscathed in it some people have degrees of privilege uh, and comfort offered to them that it leaves us in some kind of deep hunger and longing. And um, the comforts of the system, are, the scales are falling from our eyes about. We, kn we know this transformation has to come and it's whether we can do it quickly enough. And um, I think that is, for me, the vision that lifts up with for me with Extinction Rebellion is the idea that we're now ready to stop harming each other and start doing the repair work. And that it's the, our togetherness and and the moving in the direction of more democracy that will lift us to cope with what's to come. Mm. And the alternative is fascism, actually. And so it, it's, it's kind of like on the one hand, there's no choice, but on the other hand, although it's painful, it's beautiful. Mm. Tom, sure. are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> I am. Shall I ask that question or you would you like to? You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so Gail, um, Christiana and I, and Christiana can speak to this much more deeply than me, uh, came out of the UN and sort of had responsible responsibility to a degree for getting the world to the agreement in Paris that at one time looked impossible. And since then, we've been kind of reflecting on what happened in that moment. And of course, it was it was a it was a different moment to today, but, but there were some similarities. And we've just written a book, actually, where we try and draw out some of the deeper principles of what happened. And, and a major part of it was a collective ability to move beyond a sense of scarcity into a sense of abundance mm. and moving beyond this sense of zero sum, like, you know, uh, if you're going to win, it's going to be because I've lost. Mm. The, a second major part was that... A, a significant group of people kind of had to come together and align with their own internal states and connect with deeper feelings, including, you know, grief and mourning and the reality of where we are, mm. and then move forward with those elements kind of intact um, in order to sort of face the reality and the consequence of that moment and what was required. Mm. And then the third part that we came to, which I, I don't actually think is different from what you're saying, but the language may feel different, is that coming through that, which is an essential part of the process, one then has to come to a place of kind of realistic, gritty, determined optimism that even though it's dark, we will do everything we can to try to salvage what is possible from a challenging situation mm. in order to lift up to a more, to, to make it as good as we can given our context. So there's, there's and, and we've thought a lot about how that kind of microcosm of the world's nations and other stakeholders coming together to reach an agreement can kind of be mirrored in a broader sense. And, and I see a lot of that in, in, in what you've managed to manifest kind of writ large with a range of people. I'd be really interested I don't know, Christiana, if you want to add anything, but I'd be fascinated in your thoughts on that, Gail. I mean, I, what I would say for when you talked about the, the gritty realism of what you have to face and do, there's a there's a piece for me of in the word purpose. Mm. You know, you move into purpose and it stops. The, 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 the system that we live in, consumer capitalism or whatever we want to call it, is deeply narcissistic, isn't it? It's just been getting me to think about myself constantly in a really... It's, it's actually really boring. Right, <laughs> you know, right. What do I need? What do I need? And it can, that can show up in, in funny places as well. You know, I need more yoga or whatever. I mean, it's not always looking like, um, you know, buying a lot of new dresses or something. But um, there's a joy of being in purpose and you know there is a system called spiral dynamics that some people might have heard of where they talk about an emergent consciousness of teal consciousness where we start to see the values um, of other people that might not be shared the same as us but we we honor and understand where they're from and it's not like again it's not a them and us um, feeling there are businesses that are emerging into that zone that are purpose-driven Frederick Lalu talks about it in Reinventing Organisations. And so there's something here that is an emergent phenomena in humanity. And I guess the question then is what helps you to make that flip? And I'm really excited to hear that's what happened in 2015. I wasn't aware of that. Um, I, I uh, Daniel Pinchbeck wrote about this in a book, but that through facing the trauma of what we've done to the planet, there will be a sufficient shift in human consciousness to make the transition that's necessary. Mm. And yeah, it, 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 I, I think there's so much energy and innovation waiting to be unleashed, you know, waiting to, what a joy it will be when we're fully in our, back in our communities, literally 
off the streets rebelling, planting trees and cleaning rivers and uh, planning for food shortages or what, you know, how do we take care of more vulnerable people, all the rest of it. That's what I really want to spend my time on. Um, yeah. And I, I think those times have to come. In fact, when you do actions, when you design actions that are rebellious, the ones that have the most impact and the most power are the ones that you would call vision-holding actions. So they're part of what our hearts are longing for. So one time in Extinction Rebellion, to give you an example, so the vision-holding in April was being on the streets together and actually being a community. So that held that vision. One time in Parliament Square, we um, dug three trees into the middle of it and everybody was just so excited. I mean, of course, they got removed hours later and everybody knew that was inevitable, but it was that piece that that's what people want to be doing actually is not kind of barricading people and making it difficult to get to work, but actually saying we, we want there to be a, a hum, humanity's arrow pointing in the direction of repairing what we've done. Well, Gail, I can't tell you what a, uh, what, what, what a delight and uh, what a delight it has been to listen to you, uh, in particular because I think that the outside view of those that are participating in Extinction Rebellion um, is just what can be seen with our physical eyes, people barricading themselves, gluing themselves for absolutely the right reasons. But this whole other part that to me, is actually so much more transformative, which is um, the, the discovery of self and the determination to create a much better world that you have so clearly uh, in your mind and in your vision. That just gives, to me today, it has given me a very different sense of Extinction Rebellion. Um, and I'm truly grateful for that. I'm truly grateful for that. And we will do our best to communicate that as well because it's not just about going to the streets. That is the visible part, but there's a much more powerful rebellion, revolution going on um, that also needs to be properly communicated. So thank you very much for sharing that. Mm, thank you. Thank you. It's been it's been a real pleasure, and ultimately, it's about love, isn't it? That's what uh, other people can't copy and can't fake. If you get that right, then that's how it's going to happen. Here, here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Gail. Good luck with it next week. We'll see you there. Thank you. So, Christiana's had to run, so she can't join us for the wrap up, Paul. Yeah, but I mean, what a a beautiful uh, okay hang, hang on a minute she's actually just sent me a whatsapp message let's, let's listen to this in your outro Naima was just listening to part of this um, I think that you should remark on the fact that one of the slogans of Extinction Rebellion is hope dies action begins which is not the sense that we got from her at all so that's kind of interesting and Naima wants you to mention that she got this whole vision doing an ayahuasca ceremony so Christiana continues to control us via WhatsApp voice message pool, which is uh, <laughs> continues to be empowering. Way to live. Um, I think we've got our orders. Well, I mean, um, okay. Now, it is always a very good idea to do what Christiana says. I'm more than happy to comply. 
Um, you know, I hope dies action begins. I think that there is this notion that, um, you, you know, on this long, let's call it a marathon, you know, decades and decades, decades of, of, of working to combat climate change, you know, you, your hopes can be dashed and disappointed. Whereas action does have this um, this force behind it. it. It's a building thing. Hope is 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 just a just a belief, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, that's my almost precisely my understanding of what they mean. So, you know, there, there is a degree, and I remember this from from the Copenhagen negotiation. This whole Copenhagen, you know, we can let's all be positive and let's assume it will. That's very different from what we've always talked about with this idea of stubborn optimism, like optimism as a strategy as a way to drive an outcome. My sense of like, you know, hope dies. It's like, you know, we now need to kind of get real and we now need to focus on the action and what actually needs to happen rather than just hoping and assuming that it will come to an end. Interestingly, um, at the end of the last rebellion across London, um, and it's worth looking at this if you haven't seen it, after everything was cleaned away and it's worth mentioning, they left it spotless. The next morning, a Banksy had appeared on the site and it's this amazing image and underneath is the slogan, from that, from this moment, despair ends and tactics begin, which I think is actually really great. And I think that's... <laughs> I mean, I thought she was an incredibly, I mean, to counter what that comment was, um, incredibly hopeful, optimistic, positive, insightful, inspiring person um, who has, you know, in my background as a, as a Buddhist monk, I completely agree with her sense that there's a huge amount of power that comes from the acceptance of grief and of not avoiding it and of facing it. But that, you know, to me, you kind of then face that, you absorb it, you go through it and you come to a sense of optimistic determination that I will be part of making this as good as I can. And that optimism in darkness is highly relevant. And I actually, maybe I'm wrong, but I didn't get a sense that there was a disagreement from her about that. Far from it, and and although she calls herself nerdy and and has this uh, academic background, Dr. Gale, um, I I found her to be one of the most kind of human people I've ever heard. Uh, there was uh, the the sort of the the best of the human spirit was beating out of her like a drum, which was great. Um, what was that comment about her having a, 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 a some some aspect of the the journey? What was it that Naima was talking about, Tom? Well, so I mean, this is an amazing part of Gale's journey. Um, she and that it would have been nice to have asked her about this, but we didn't have time. But she did ayahuasca, the um, ceremonial vine from the Amazon, and she did it somewhere in Latin America some years ago. And my understanding of this story is that she kind of asked to be given the keys to social change, to how to precipitate this major change, because she's kind of a social entrepreneur. She's tried lots of things, but like many social entrepreneurs, she kind of wanted them to be bigger. And um, my understanding is that a major part of Extinction Rebellion kind of came to her throughout this experience of these journeys, um, which is really interesting as a contribution to the world then that that was such a major part of the history of Extinction Rebellion. I mean, the only comment I would have is that I, I do think we all need to find ways of, you know, there's that awful cliche of, of, of think out of the box, but we really do need to, you know, I, I'm very pleased and proud not just to go to an intentional community in Scotland called the Fintorn Foundation, but to actually convene groups of people from NGOs, from business, from government to meet there and sit in a circle with a candle and just think and feel in a, you know, in a different way about some of the problems we face. So yeah. I, I, I can really understand that, that. I think holistic vision is almost kind of like the, the, the path out of the forest. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, and tell me what you think, 
But there is a big international rebellion coming on Monday. And I'm wondering if this even merits another formal announcement from Paul Dickinson. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm prepared to go for it, Tom, but you'll have to tell me what the announcement is. Well, Clay's going to have to cue the music and then we're going to have to talk about the fact that there's an every, <laughs> every okay, Monday. Okay, okay. okay Monday. I'm ready. Okay. There we go. All right. Clay, are you ready? I was born ready. Paul, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Okay. We're live in three, two. Live from London and around the world, this is a special outrage and optimism announcement from your favorite host, Paul Dickinson. Listeners worldwide, listeners in the United Kingdom, this is outrage and optimism. And around this is the world. Outrage. Well, that, <laughs> great. They didn't do that to Churchill, you know. <laughs> Start but again. Start try again. again. I mean, I did my part perfectly. Okay. So it's on, so it's on you, okay, Paul. Okay, it's, it's me. That's good. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Just give me like a half a second. Okay. We're live in three, two. Live from London and around the world, this is a special outrage and optimism announcement from your favorite host, Paul Dickinson. Listeners of the world, listeners of the world, this is a special announcement from outrage and optimism. There will be an international rebellion across the world on Monday, the 7th of October, led by Extinction Rebellion to draw the attention of all those in power all of us who comprise society regarding the essential action that needs to be taken to protect ourselves and our children, please engage with these demonstrations in the most appropriate way. We believe in you. Thank you. Great. We hope to see you there Monday, October the 7th. Thanks for being here. So it just remains for me to say that Outrage and Optimism is a production of Global Optimism and is produced by Clay Carnell. I'd like to thank everyone who made this happen. Callum Grieve, Freya Newman, Pete Cluttenbrock, Chloe Revel, Marina Mancilla, and Zoe Cholacantic. I'd also like to thank Nigel Topping and Michael Northrup. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and please do hit subscribe and leave us a review. We also love the feedback podcast at globaloptimism.com. So many of you have been writing in and we do try to respond to every email. Thanks for that kind of feedback. We really appreciate it. Please keep them coming. We'll see you next week. Bye.